my, uh, the first portion of my sermon last week um, alar- alarmed at least, uh, one of our, at least one of our elders because it was light on uh, Scripture. I quoted, I quoted a lot from the little, a little black book that, uh, that, that the wedding, you know, that the officiant at a wedding uh, uses, and, uh, and that's not the Bible. It's not the Bible. <laughs> Uh, so today we're going to get to the Bible quicker. It's our middle name. Bible's our middle name. We can't forget that. Not minister's wedding manual. So, but to set the historical context before we uh, jump in, uh, the topic is, you know, this last week and this week and, and uh, maybe for a, another week or two uh, beyond today, the topic is uh, what Christians might call uh, gray areas or debatable issues, or questionable issues, or some, some term like that. And the question is, how do we handle uh, differences of conviction and practice? I put convention in the title uh, last time, among Christians in of good faith. I just, and to pick a modern example to see what we're talking about, uh, just to pick a, a modern example, uh, some Christians see, see nothing in the Scriptures uh, in the teaching of the Bible that would prevent them from enjoying, uh, you know, a, a cold beer with their pizza or their Mexican, Mexican or their taco dinner. They give thanks to God and they and they have a brew. Other Christians would, could couldn't see their way. They never do such a thing. They just couldn't see their way clear to do that with a clean conscience before God. Uh, all my Christian life, all of my Christian life, that, that that's one of them. Use of alcoholic beverages has always been one of those issues uh, about which Christians have come to different convictions, different practices. Now, I want, want to say, because this is important for where we're going, that I, you know, since I've been a believer in 1974, and it's, and it's not just, uh, you know, just a, that uh, people have uh, agreed on this, it's that it's, that it's uh, biblically grounded, but I've never known any Christian at all that would advocate for an occasional drunkenness. Right, that that's okay, you know, and, and never, not one person, not not one uh, Christian I've ever known is saying, "Well, that that's okay on occasion." No, we're not talking about that. But we're, um, uh, but what about the moderate use of alcoholic beverage? Well, the fact of the matter is, different convictions, different practices uh, in the church, and and those. Uh, those differences create a situation. How do we live with? How do we do this? How do we live with each other? How do we love one another despite those differences? How do we respect and encourage one another's walk with the, the Lord? And that, and that use of uh, alcoholic beverages. That's just one example. There are always a. You, you can't name them all. You, you, there's just so many issues like that uh, that uh, that Christians in good faith held a variety of opinions come to different practices, you know, just, there's just hundreds of them, really, I, I wouldn't want to exhaust myself in trying to list them all, but, you know, just, to, should, should Christians tithe, should they give 10% of their income, uh, should they, uh, is Sunday the Christian Sabbath, is Sunday the Christian Sabbath, should, the, should Sunday be set apart as a, uh, as a, a day of rest, uh, how does someone, how do you dress? How should somebody dress to, for uh, corporate worship? How do you how do you do that? I always the uh, one of our pastors um, in the free church uh, is in uh, Knoxville. He he's 
wears, uh, it seems to me, wears sandals a lot, you know, sandals. And uh, so I, I've joked with him before when we see each other, I say, you know, if I'm going to see the, the guy preaching, if I can see his feet, it needs to be Jesus. You know, I don't want to, you know, you, you, I don't know, you're a great guy and everything, but I don't want to see your feet, you know, when you're, uh, so is it okay for Christians to get tattoos? We've had, years ago, we had a, we had, uh, you know, discussions about that in, in, in our home, little light discussions, because no matter what the Bible says about it, we know what mama don't allow. And so, it, you know, but that's a question. You know, the different Christians going to come up with a different ideas about that. Uh, should a pre-game, a pre-game, <laughs> crazy. Should a pre-meal prayer be a part of your standard Christian practice, whether you're at home or whether you're eating out at a restaurant. Um, what kinds of movies should a Christian watch, can a Christian watch, uh, uh, television shows, uh, what kind of music to listen to, and, and on and on and on it goes. And these issues change with the generations, but they're always there. In the early church, uh, the early church of the New Testament, there really two of those kinds of issues that, that rose to the level of what maybe could be considered a, a church controversy, you know, that would rise to the level of something that was uh, an issue in the church. First, and really the foremost one, it's really the main one, is the eating of meat sacrificed to idols. That was one. Can, you, can a Christian eat meat that had been sacrificed, came from an animal that had been sacrificed to an idol? And second, uh, the observance of, of the Jewish calendar, you know, the holidays, the Sabbath, you know, is it, uh, you know, is it all right for a Christian, you know, having come out of Judaism to observe the Sabbath, like, as is a tradition, or their Passover and the other feasts, can, can they do that? Uh, or is that, a, or is that a, a turning away from Christianity back, is that a going back to, to uh, Jewish belief and practice? Now, now it's important to understand, that's why I brought up the drunkenness kind of illustration, that actually, in the early church, actually worshiping pagan idols was not a matter of controversy in the church. It's not like some did and some didn't. No. Uh, virtually all Christians agreed, as they should have, that worshiping idols was a sin against God. Ancient Rome, of course, was steeped in idol worship. And Paul wrote to the, third, the, to the church at Thessalonica that they had, quote, turned, you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. So it wasn't a controversial, like, like it was okay. No. Uh, Jewish Christians, worshiping idols, Jewish Christians, I mean, people, you know, people who had been Jews and, and uh, had become Christians, well, it's the second commandment. They wouldn't think of such a thing. You know, they, they wouldn't. No, it wasn't controversial at all. Of course, and, and historically, it was Israel's besetting sin. They'd been scalded by it historically. So, no, not controversial at all, whether it was all right for Christians to actually worshiping idols. But what about purchasing meat that came from the butcher shop next door to the temple where you know they got their meat from the temple. 
What about the restaurant that's associated with the temple? Uh, did that constitute participation in idol worship? Would that be a sin? And some Christians said, yes, that would be a sin. You can't do that. And other Christians said, no, that's not idol worship. God created all things for us to enjoy, including our Sunday dinner goat. No matter how, it, you know, God created it, God gave it. It doesn't matter how it met its demise. It's a, it didn't come from Baal, it came from God. So no, it's not. And in the same way, Christians agreed that, for, that actually forsaking Christian faith, returning to Jewish faith and practice would just be wrong. Hebrews was written to Christians who were actually kind of going wobbly on just that point. But what about just observing the Sabbath? Or what about you know, a, a Christian of Jewish background? Would it, what about just observing traditional feasts like Passover and Tabernacles, doing what their family had done for years and years, you know, being part of the family, you know, of the family life like that? Would it be okay? Would it be okay for a Christian to build a tent and live outside at, you know, for Tabernacles for a time? like they've done all their lives? Uh, well, or, or would that be an abandonment of Christian faith on some level? Christians came to different practices about that. So it isn't as though Christian morality, I wouldn't want you to have this idea that Christian morality is always a matter of personal preference because it isn't. God defines right and wrong most of it's pretty clear. <laughs> and we have to adjust our own thinking to, to God's. But as we said last week, if Christianity were a religion about Jesus, we could make rules that covered every conceivable situation. That's what Phariseeism was all about. That's what they tried to do to ridiculous extremes. <laughs> But since Christianity is not a religion about Jesus, but a relationship with Jesus, we find that relationship with Jesus cannot be reduced to rules because the multiplication of rules, no matter how many you have, can never be an adequate substitute for a heart that desires to be in relationship and to be in relationship with Jesus and please Him. Rules can never cover, could never substitute for that, could they? A heart that wants to please the Lord. Now, I think it helps us a lot, really, that the debatable issues that, that the early church grappled with are generally no longer current for us uh, in the 21st century. It's not... It's not applicable to us, not directly. We just don't have to worry about our meat coming from an animal that has been sacrificed to an idol, right? Hardly ever comes up. In fact, never. Same way with the Jewish calendar, really. Uh, not an issue. I was thinking about this this week. You know, Robin and I were invited one, a few, several years ago. We were invited to a Passover dinner at a... Reformed Jewish home, and, and we went. 
But think, I, thinking back on that, I suppose some Christians could think that we, no, you shouldn't have done that. You, it's a sin against God by involving yourself in a non-Christian religion somehow. You, you know, you, uh, so maybe there, there was, uh, maybe there was that, but it didn't, it didn't even think of it at the time. Uh, and so the fact that these debatable issues of the early church are not directly applicable to us, it really frees us to consider the biblical instruction without the emotional investment you know that a lot of times comes with these issues um, not in the emotional entanglement maybe and since we can read the new testament instruction without a dog in the fight right right we don't we don't we don't have a preferred outcome on uh, meat sacrifice to idols doesn't come up for us uh, we can more clearly i think we can more clearly see the principles that we can apply to our own issues as we seek to please the lord in the in our manner of living with all the hundreds and hundreds of of issues that come out that might fit in these debatable things or gray areas uh, so i, I want to read the passages and i want you to read along with me do and we might have it on the uh, on the screen here for us, but we're going to read Romans 14. It's going to be a longer passage, but I want you to see it. Romans 14, the whole chapter. 1 Corinthians 8, the whole chapter. 1 Corinthians 8 is uh, considerably shorter. But listen, and here, these are the two chapters. This is, this is really the teaching, covers these issues, these two chapters. Romans 14. As for the one who was weak in faith... Welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, 
you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Now put your, if you're using your own Bible or one of the few Bibles, put your thumb in there, hold, your, hold a place at, at Romans 14, and go forward to 1 Corinthians 8. Shorter chapter. Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. However, not all possess this knowledge. But some, through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience being weak, is defiled food will not command commend us to god we are no worse off if if we do do not eat and no better off if we do but take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak for if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died. Thus sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. Now what I want to do is to try to summarize the teaching of these two chapters by thinking through four different characters we encounter in the church whenever one of these debatable issues questionable issues comes up and you and i play one of these characters every time we are one of these uh, almost certainly we can't we can't help it and then depending on the issue under consideration you're we're probably not going to be the same character every time we're not going to play the same role every time But on a particular issue, we're going to find ourselves taking one of these roles. And in framing it this way, I I have to say, I borrowed heavily from uh, the late Dr. Joe Aldrich in his excellent book, 
called Lifestyle Evangelism. First published 1981, but I saw it on Amazon. You still in print. You can still get it. Joe Aldrich's Lifestyle Evangelism. And I, I, I've, I took my copy home and, uh, and looked at it this week, and I've, I've realized that I've tweaked his, I, I've used that, his framework for teaching it over the years. And I've, I've tweaked the framework and the terminology a little, but I filled it out and developed it a lot more. He doesn't say nearly as much as I will about it. But, it's, but the categories are his, and I want to say that. Joe Aldrich, uh, uh, Lifestyle Evangelism. So here are the four characters that may show up that, uh, that whenever one of these debatable issues comes up, four roles that we play. We might be the genuinely weaker brother, genuinely weaker brother. We might be the professing weaker brother, the abstaining mature brother. I'm using brother because the passages do but Christian, believer, or the participating mature brother. I re- re- read them again, but you'll, you'll know them by, by if you come this, you're here this week and you come next week, you'll know them by that. Genuinely weaker brother, professing weaker brother, abstaining mature brother, participating mature brother. I want to look at each of them just through the passages and, and look at them closely, but we're only going to probably deal just one today, just one, and it's going to be the genuinely weaker brother. And he really, when, you re, when we read this, Romans 14, 1 Corinthians, he's the one Paul's most concerned about. This is the one, Paul is really concerned about this one. He's, he's kind of the, the star of these, uh, of these uh, two chapters, the most important character anyway. Uh, and so we'll only deal with that one. But by way of preview, here's where we're going to end up. Genuinely weaker brothers should be protected and taught. Uh, professing weaker brothers should, and this is a surprise to a lot of people, but this is what I'm going to try to set out to prove to you, show to you from the scripture. Professing weaker brothers should be resisted and corrected. Abstaining, I'll put the last two in a category, put it, lump them together. Abstaining mature believers and participating mature believers should be respected and left alone. I tried for several days. I've been thinking, trying to think of a better, fancier word than left alone. I just I couldn't think of it. Left alone. <laughs> Respected and left alone. But first, let's talk about that first one. The genuinely weaker brother. In those two chapters, he's the weaker brother. That's what he's called. The weaker brother. Or the weak brother. Now, he might be weak. He's got two ways that he's weak. Two ways he might be weak, and they really, really pretty much go together. He may have a weakness in the content of his faith. Paul talks about the one who is weak in faith. He's weak in the content of his faith in that his sense of right and wrong is not fully informed by the Scriptures. It's heavily influenced by his past, like if he's you know, accustomed to worshiping idols. You know, it's, he's, he's just got some prejudices, some biases about the right and wrong, that, but it doesn't come from the Scriptures. It comes from somewhere else. In 1 Corinthians 8, he's the one who lacks knowledge, you know, the one who lacks knowledge that idols are not really gods. There's one God who gives us all good things to enjoy, including meat, even if it's from an animal sacrifice to a so-called God. So he, he doesn't know. 
He doesn't know. He's weak in that way. You, you may have noticed that English Standard Version, you know, the one that was up here uh, on the screen in the, in the Pew Bibles, and the one, I, the one I read from and the one I used, it uses quotation marks around some of those things. No, like so-called, like so-called knowledge. Everyone has this knowledge, but it has quotes on it. Quotes aren't in there. They're not part of the original text. It, it seems to me unfortunately interpretive, you know, that is translated that way. But, but, uh, but even if that's the case, even if you take those quotation marks, say, well, it's kind of so-called knowledge, then the, bro- then the weaker brother's faith is weak in that he does not yet know the revealed word well enough to know that Christians in good faith with equal respect for the authority of the Bible could come up with different ideas and different practices. He doesn't know that yet. He thinks that he, 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 he doesn't, he's weak in that way. He assumes, the weaker believer assumes, that if eating meat sacrificed to idols is wrong for one, it must be wrong for everybody. And he, he assumes that if it's okay for one, it's okay for everybody. But in fact, the biblical t- teaching is, that's not the biblical teaching, is it, on these debatable issues. We read it, Romans 14, 14. I know and am persuaded in the Lord that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. You see that? So in some cases, there could be something that would be a sin for someone, but not a sin for someone else. What would... You know, Romans 14, I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. What would the Apostle Paul to say to a believer who just couldn't eat meat that may have come from that temple without feeling like he'd sinned against God? You know what he'd say first and foremost? Don't, you shouldn't do it then. Don't do it. Why? why? Because for you, it really would be a sin. Because you think it's, you, you, you would be doing that which your conscience condemns already. Don't, don't do it. No matter what anyone else does, you shouldn't do it. Romans 14, 23. Whoever, but whoever doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. So if you can't do it without feeling like you've done something wrong and and you've sinned against the Lord, then he would say, don't do it. Don't do it. That's one weakness that the weaker believer has. He doesn't, he doesn't know the Scriptures well enough to be able to see that in this particular area, on this issue, it might be okay for him, but not okay for me. Or, or the other way around. He doesn't know that. He's weak in a far more significant way. Here's the other area, the other kind of weakness that he is, uh, is subject to. It's a weakness, and in the passages, it's a weakness of conscience. If his conscience is weak. In other words, his, he's weak in conscience in that he is susceptible to being temporarily persuaded to sin against his own conscience. Uh, he can be emboldened, especially by the example of fellow believers, to do that which violates his own conscience on one of these disputable matters 
but afterwards the weak conscience reasserts itself and he condemns himself for having sinned against Christ. And guess what? He has sinned against Christ because it didn't proceed from faith, because he decided to do that which with his conscience, you know, he really uh, thinks that something is unclean and he partook of it. It was a sin. So he, he's, he's weak in that he vacillates. He, he's not strong in conscience. He, he can be emboldened against his own conscience temporarily so that he does that which he condemns himself for later. This is, this is what stumbling is. In the New, this is what stumbling is in the New Testament teaching. And ju- just to read these verses again, 1 Corinthians 8, starting with 7, the latter part of the verse. But some through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Food will not commend us to God. We're no worse off if we do eat, nor better off if we do. But take care, lest this right of yours, this right to eat meat, sacrificed to an idol, does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. What do you mean stumbling block? Well, there's an explanation. Four. Four is the first word of the next verse. Four. In other words, you're going to get an explanation of what stumbling is. Four. If anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak? Do you see that? To eat food offered to idols and so by your knowledge this weak person is destroyed the brother for whom christ died now this is going to become even clearer when we consider the professing weaker brother and by the way you'll get him next week but he professes to be weak he thinks he's weak but he's really not and it's and you're going to see it how and how jesus and paul and others treated you know when they came up with someone like that a professing weaker brother but Stumbling is not, by the New Testament usage, when someone really, really disapproves of what someone else is doing. That's not stumbling. Now, I've heard it over the years. I, someone, someone might say, I saw so-and-so walking out of the liquor store, and he had a long brown bag... <laughs> He's made me to stumble. I've stumbled because I I really disapprove of that. I really don't think Christians should know. A Christian shouldn't do that. He shouldn't have alcoholic beverages of any any kind. I don't care if he says it's for cooking or whatever. I don't care. He shouldn't do it. He's made me stumble. That's a misunderstanding of what stumbling is. That's a misunderstanding. Stumbling, in the New Testament usage of it, is not merely disagreeing or not approving of someone other Christian's practice. What it is is being temporarily emboldened against your conscience on the matter to do that which violates your conscience and later condemning yourself for it and say, I have sinned. You know, the... Well, I don't, want to, I don't want to get into the next character, this professing weaker brother, but when he says, you know, I saw someone walking out of the liquor store and he's made me a stumble. Oh, really? Did you go in? No, I would never do such a 
you didn't stumble. Congratulations. It's great that you didn't stumble. But that's important to realize. This is what stumbling is. And, and that's, that's from 1 Corinthians 8. It comes through in Romans 14 as well. 20, verse 21, it is, 14, 21, it is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. Now, verse 23, well, what do you mean stumble? But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats. Not if he doesn't like that someone else eat, was eating. He's condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. So that's one, that's one of, the, uh, of the characters, you know, one of the, uh, the roles that, that in the church drama when, you know, when it comes to the, you know, on a debatable issue, the genuinely weaker brother. Now, what should be done with the genuinely weaker brother? How do we relate to him? How do we love him? How do we love the genuinely weaker brother? First, we protect and use the language from last week, you know, the, the, the wedding comparison, the marriage comparison. We protect the holy of holies of his walk with the Lord. We protect that. We are careful not to embolden him to sin against his own conscience to do something that he would then later condemn himself for. How could Paul elevate that concern any more than what he's done in these two chapters? And he says, why would I do something to destroy the work of God in his life, right? That's hard. What language? Destroy. And he says that in 1 Corinthians 8, if meeting meats causes my, stump, my brother to stumble, I'll never eat meat again, right? This is a high, high priority not to do anything that would cause a genuinely weaker brother to do something that he's going to condemn himself later for and to sin to sin against God. We, we would never... Well, in the first century context, uh, if, you, if they obeyed Paul, if they took this, this teaching to heart in Romans 14, 1 Corinthians 8, they would never say to that genuinely weaker brother, say, oh, come on. It's okay, it's okay to eat this meat. Oh, no, you're thinking about it all wrong. God gave it, not Baal. God gave us all things to enjoy. Enjoy it. We wouldn't do that. Or we would never say, if we, t if we take Romans 14, 1 Corinthians 8 to heart, and the issue is alcohol, say, we would never say, oh, come on, have a, a beer. Nobody's going to get drunk here. Nobody's going to get drunk. It's okay. You worried it's a sin? I'll tell you what's a sin. Of ruining good Mexican food by washing it down with Diet Coke? Oh, my goodness. That would be a sin. Oh, that's, but drinking, that's not a sin. Or whatever the issue might be. We would not lobby. I mean, it's like these chapters say, Thou shalt not lobby for your own practice in the life of a genuinely weaker brother. Why? Because you might persuade him temporarily. <laughs> but later, his weak, vacillating conscience is going to reassert itself 
and he's going to realize that he has sinned against the Lord and he got there by following your example? We should shudder to think that that might happen. Why in the world we want to do that? Isn't temptation the devil's job? <laughs> he doesn't need help, does he? Why would we want to do his work? That, that would be, you know, to borrow from last week, the, the marriage analogy, that would be putting asunder what God is building. <laughs> That's tromping around, recklessly rearranging the furniture in the place of someone else's relationship with God. And the New Testament, the teaching here in Romans 14, 1 Corinthians 8, it goes even further than that. Not only you would never lobby someone else to follow your example, but the teaching is that those who exercise their liberty to enjoy what for the weak would be a sin, they should even go so far as to restrict their own liberty, their own use of liberty in settings in which the weak, genuinely weak brother might be emboldened by our example to do that which violates his conscience. Romans 14, 21. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. 1 Corinthians 8, verse 9. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. Once And once again, I won't read the continue, read the passage, but it says... Don't, you don't want to make them stumble. And remember, them stumbling is them doing it, them eating, them doing whatever it is that their conscience really doesn't allow. Now, when he says, when Paul says, verse 13, if food causes, makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. That is not Paul giving us liberty with one hand and taking it away with the other. Uh, I think sometimes there's a temptation to read this, or some people might interpret it this way. Yeah, you have liberty, but you really don't. <laughs> no. This is, this is the Apostle Paul putting as high a value, as high a priority as he can on protecting genuinely weaker believers from sinning against their Lord. So what do we do? We protect them. We protect their practice secondly weaker believers should be taught so that they're not weak anymore uh, there's no reason why now i'll agree that this doesn't come from these passages themselves but just let me lay it out there and you you be the judge of whether it's the in keeping with the teaching of the of the scripture there is no reason why weakness of faith, weakness of conscience, should be anything other than a temporary condition in anyone's life. As, as we're going to see even clearly later on when we consider these other characters, it is not important that weaker believers become participators in whatever behavior their conscience now condemns. But it is important that they be taught well enough so that they realize that Christians in good faith 
with equal respect for the authority of the Scripture on a particular issue could come up with a different conviction, a different practice. Drink, tattoos, whatever, you know, movies, television, dress, whatever. Weaker believers need to be taught that what is a sin for them in, in certain conditions might not be a sin for everybody. Because that's what the Bible teaches, right? We just read it. They should be taught that. They need to be taught so that their conscience is not weak, not vacillating, not subject to being temporarily swayed by someone else's example. They need to be taught what Romans 14, 5, the, la 5, the last of the verse says, each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Be fully convinced, not vacillating, not casting about, fully convinced. So whether you remain a meat abstainer or become a meat eater, that's between you and the Lord. It's between every person and the Lord, and it's not terribly important. It's not the, what's the highest priority. But what is most important is that the weak believer becomes strong and not weak. Strong and not weak. The, the weak need to hear and obey the biblical teaching, Romans 14, 22. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. The weak person, and just if, the weak, if a genuinely weaker brother is taught Romans 14 and 1 Corinthians 8, and he believes it all, and he takes it to heart, guess what? He's not going to be weak anymore. He won't be weak anymore. Because his faith is grounded, and his walk is grounded. He's not, he's not going to be easily emboldened to sin against God. See, that genuinely weaker brother, why is he genuinely weak? He might be young in the Lord. He might be young, period. And you have to be immature before you become mature, right? But it's not genuinely weaker brother. It's not a lifestyle choice for, that anybody should have. <laughs> it's a temporary condition, and that's all. So the weak should be protected against sinning against their own conscience, but they should also be taught so that they're not weak. A genuinely weaker brother. They might appear to you to be overly scrupulous, but Paul says, be careful with that. Be careful with that. Don't try to talk them out of that. And you don't treat it lightly like that. Protect their walk with the Lord. But if you are a genuinely weaker brother, you should allow yourself to be taught Allow your faith about what pleases the Lord and what doesn't be informed by the Bible and let your conscience be strengthened by the teaching of God's Word so it doesn't vacillate, doesn't doubt, so that you're not weak but strong in the Lord. That's how you treat them. Genuinely weaker brother. Um, past time, thank you for listening. <laughs> Went into overtime today. Uh, let's pray. Father, give us grace uh, to love the weaker brothers among us in the biblical way. Not to get our way with them, but to protect their way of living before and pleasing you. Teach us not to win arguments for ourselves, but to win people for you. 
Uh, there's something of the Pharisee in all of us, Lord, so we love it when others conform to our way of seeing things, our way of doing things. But grant us grace to love, not get in our way, but to genuinely love one another. And grant those who on any issue is the genuinely weaker brother, genuinely weak in conscience, to listen to it, submit to the teaching of your word so that they'll become strong in faith, unwaverable in conscience, knowing that it's not to each other we'll give an account, but to you who searches minds and hearts. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.